Leslie Gunn learned early the type of work she did not want to do. When I was in university, I had a job working in an insurance company punching uh, health claims, right? It was just about as boring as you could get. And I can remember every morning by like 9.15 being like ready to fall asleep and thinking, how do people do this every single day? And they keep coming back for more. And it really motivated me to think at that time, like I'm going to have to do something very different. After some interesting job experience with a newspaper in London, England, Leslie returned to Canada and began working in the staffing business where she learned how to run a business. And I got an opportunity to do so many different things in that company um, that by the time I was 30 years old, you know, I knew how to run a $40 million business, basically. And um, it really set me up for success as I moved into the next stage of my career. That next stage, professional services and sales. And that was very eye-opening as well, because when you've worked for an American publicly traded organization and you're responsible to shareholders, you have to hustle. Like they are expecting that you're doing um, the best work every single day. On this episode of Run It Like a Girl, Leslie tells us communication and persistence are key when an organization is going through a period of transition and change. She talks about how to bring the best out of your team and how to go about finding a sponsor. Leslie also has some advice. Don't be afraid to make mistakes. I think that's really it, right? I think that over time, what I've learned is that it's not a zero-sum game. Like, you do right things and you do wrong things. And, you know, you win or you lose. And I think that as time's gone on, you learn that by making mistakes, there's always lessons that come out of that. And that it's like a constant iteration of who you are and how you can change and how you can influence things. The head of marketing for Connor Clark and Lund Financial Group, Leslie Gunn, on this episode of Run It Like a Girl. So today I am recording a very special episode with someone who has become a good friend of mine who started out as my boss. And I think the best bosses are the ones that you just admire so much and have so much um, good things to say about, which this woman is certainly one of them. Leslie Gunn, who now is the head of marketing for Connor Clark and Lund Financial Group. I'm so excited that you agreed to join me for an episode, Leslie. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Uh, I'm really excited too. And, and uh, you know, it's funny because before we started recording, we were talking about when I wanted to first start my podcast. And, you know, as someone that I, I have looked up to and has kind of acted as a mentor of mine, I did. I came to you and said, hey, I'm thinking about doing this. I think it'll be cool. And now to have you on is just uh, is really special to me. So thank you. Oh, it's awesome to see this all come to life. And, uh, you know, I'm really proud of the work that you've done here. I think it's fantastic. Aw, that's great. Well, we're going to dive right in. And um, really, because, you know, I just, uh, your leadership style is one that um, I work very well with, I thought anyway, hope you did too. Um, and I just thought that you really knew how to bring people together for a common vision. So I want to focus a lot of the conversation on that. But first, I just want uh, my listeners to understand kind of who you are in your own career journey. So let's start with talk to me about your career journey, your background, and what led you to your current role that you have now. All right. Well, I mean, it's unfortunately kind of long now. But <laughs> I mean, if we go all the way back, um, you know, when I was in university, I had a job working in an insurance company punching uh, health claims, right? It was just about as boring as you could get. And I can remember every morning by like 9.15 being like ready to fall asleep and thinking, how do people do this 
every single day and they keep coming back for more. And it really motivated me to think at that time, like, I'm going to have to do something very different. Being in this type of office job is just not for me. And it's so repetitive and it's like death by a thousand cuts. So I'm going to have to figure something else out. And so then I did kind of postpone getting into the working world because I couldn't figure out what I wanted to do. Um, and, an op- and like a lot of things in life, right, it was opportunistic. I'd met somebody, I was backpacking, and I got a job in publishing in London, England. And I thought it was going to be super exciting, like publishing for a newspaper. And, oh, it's so glamorous. And it's totally not. Like they basically <laughs> threw a Yellow Pages directory at me and said, call the people in there and get them to advertise in our newspaper. And for a couple of years, I lived like that. And it was kind of like a subsistence living as well, right? Really, they kept you lean. So you would be hustling and selling every single day. And if you didn't, you couldn't pay your rent. So I learned very hard, very fast on, you know, how to sell, how to get in front of people and how to make the best of, quite frankly, a very tenuous situation where my parents were like, why don't you come back to Canada? And I'm like, oh no, things are going great here in England. Let me keep trying to sell that, you know, two by five ad in the newspaper. Um, When I moved back to Canada, I was thinking it would be really nice to get out of that kind of a sales job. You know, it really was a grind and it was a lot of hard work and I'd been successful, but, you know, learned a lot of lessons, but wanted to move on. And I got into the staffing business thinking again, Oh, so nice, right? Helping people out, getting them their jobs and helping them achieve their dreams. And yes, there was definitely a certain element of social responsibility, but it was really, it was a tough grind as well. And there was lots of lessons and I'm grateful for it because, you know, before the age of 30, I really had an opportunity to get, you know, deep into the psyche of job seekers and understand what people were looking for. Um, and also how to run a business, right? So yeah, sure, it was like great to help people get jobs and I did really love that part of it um, because it's nice to be able to make money while you're doing something good for society. I'll say that for sure. But it was also about how do you run your business and how do you keep the lights on? And I got an opportunity to do so many different things in that company um, that by the time I was 30 years old, you know, I knew how to run a $40 million business basically. And Um, It really set me up for success as I moved into the next stage of my career, which was working professional services and doing sales. And that was very eye opening as well, because when you've worked for an American publicly traded organization and you're responsible to shareholders, you have to hustle like they are expecting that you're doing um, the best work every single day. And, you know, you have some skin in the game because you probably have shares, too. And then moving into a partnership where like it's kind of a monopoly, you know, like there's really four big players out there and they kind of pass the plate around um, as it goes to audits, etc. So it was a very different way of doing business and it was post Enron. So that was really a time when business was changing. And I was just thinking to myself, like, there's got to be a way where, you know, you're not just doing sales, but you're leveraging all this great thought leadership that these big four firms were really putting out at the time. And there was a disparate, you know, people were doing sales and then people were doing marketing and the two weren't really coming together. And I thought like, my job as a salesperson would be a lot easier if I just took advantage of some of this marketing, right? Like I'd have something really cool to talk about other than like buy stuff from me. And so um, I can remember having this kind of you know, thought as I come back from my maternity leave, well, there's all this great thought leadership. And then, you know, at the time, the partner that I worked for didn't really care. It was just like, bring in new clients, like who cares about all this thought leadership we have? 
And that's when I moved into my next role, which is really overseeing both marketing and sales, which I thought, finally, right? Like, finally, I can have that view of both marketing and sales and bring the two things together. Because as a salesperson, you know, in my heart of hearts, like I don't want to do anything that's not going to generate revenue. Like I know that that's a waste of time. But then I also know that my job is a lot easier if I have really great marketing behind me to help me have intelligent conversations with people about their business issues. So bringing those two things together, which is where you and I work together, was really probably the highlight of my career because, you know, in a lot of organizations, they really differentiate between marketing and sales. And I really think that they're the two sides of the same coin. And um, so that's, that's really, that's really where we went into the transformation side of things, of course. Um, And then now it was, you know, I'd been in professional services for so long and, you know, living in the greater Toronto area, the main industry really is financial services. And I thought, well, you know, I need to learn something new. I pretty much tapped out what was available to me in professional services. And so where else was I going to go? What could I learn next? And that really um, was like opening the door into financial services. So now I'm in um, institutional asset management, which is a whole different kettle of fish, but it's been really exciting and a great learning experience at this point in my career. That's awesome. And I love how you talk about learning mindset, right? Like as long as you're learning, as long as you're growing, that's when you can stay where you are. But as soon as those kind of Um, once you've reached it, it's time to look for something else, which can be scary too, especially when you've had several years in the same industry to make that move to something different where you don't know what it's going to be like or, or, or how it's going to go. But, um, just knowing you, I knew it would go very well, which it has. So that's, (laughs) that's great. And, um, so when we worked together, you were part of a leadership team that was leading a very large marketing and sales team through a transformation. How do you get teams to follow a vision and embrace change? Well, I mean, I think it all comes down to communication, right? Um, It's how do you set up what we're about to do and why we're doing it? And I think that consistency is really, really key. And so we've always said, whether it's like communicating through change or leadership communication or people communications, you do have to like, you have to say things 10 times, 10 different ways, especially in today's day and age with so many different modes of communication and people being distracted by things so easily, you have to repeat yourself over and over. But it's not just like how you do that. It's like, you know, the why behind it. So, you know, why are you doing a transformation and how do you win not just the minds, but the hearts of the people that you're working with? And that's really by including them in the journey and making them part of it. And so it's not like just, you know, a decree from the mountaintop, but, you know, people are, are all part of making this something that's a reality. Um, And then I think the next thing is like making sure that you try to break down any silos. Certainly when we went through the transformation, you know, there were pockets of people who work together in different capacities and they're used to working with each other and they're used to working with each other in certain ways. And it's like, how do you break up those silos a little bit and have people work differently together and collaborate differently? I think that that brings new perspectives that might otherwise, you know, not really exist. And then I think, you know, you have to really be persistent and that there's going to be stumbling blocks along the way. And you can't get distracted by that um, because all experiments and learnings, you know, include failure. And so having an environment where you um, really try to encourage people to take risks and think differently and, you know, make it um, playful and safe to do so and reward people for, um, you know, trying and and thinking differently, I think that it makes it a lot more fun 
yeah. and just your lather, rinse, repeat, do it all over again. Absolutely. And I think what um, <clears throat> the team that uh, we worked with did, did really well as a leadership team is get that sense of like, it's, you're not, it's a journey together. Everyone has, can have impact. Everyone has, you know, can, can really get involved and, and make a difference, which I think everybody really wants to do, right, is make a difference. Um, one thing that, uh, you know, I've heard a lot about in terms of transformation, right, is you have those people that, like, jump right on it, and they're just full in, and they're ready to go, and they can't wait to see where you're going. And then you have people, which I think is like me, that um, sit back a little bit, wait and see, and then jump in and are excited to get going. But then you also have people that just do not want to change. They mm-hmm. are stuck in their old ways, and they do want to change. And eventually, you know, decisions have to be made. Can you bring these people along, or is it better for both parties to separate? How do you do that? How do you figure out, you know, can I bring this person along and use their expertise or make the hard decision that maybe it's time uh, for them to move on uh, for their sake as well as the sake of the business? Yeah, I mean, listen, it's a very exciting time. And I think it's healthy to be somewhat skeptical, right? Like, I think that, um, you know, nobody goes into any situation without challenging it a little bit and having questions. I mean, you know, it is exciting times and there will be things that you don't know and you've never encountered. And I think it's similar to anything like working with people who've never done something before. You know, you have that top third that's excited all in. They can't wait for it. They're the leaders. You have that, you know, sort of group in the middle, like perhaps where you were, where you're like, show me and prove it to me. And when I believe it, then I'm in. And then you have that other group that's just never going to get there. And I think that you build off the success of those that are all in, that are demonstrating it, and you have to show that it works for them. And then you have those testimonials who have those case studies. You have that ability to be able to say, look, you know, this is how it worked. This is what people did. And this is the impact they had. Then you, you can say your colleagues have done it and it's worked, right? And so if you have provided the absolute best opportunity for everybody to be educated, to have access to tools, to be given an environment to succeed, to be given that kind of guidelines on how to do it, and they still can't get there, well, then I think you do have to make a a tough decision. You know, it's like at the end of the day, nobody gets left behind unless they want to be left behind. And if somebody decides that they just don't want it, don't want to be there, you have a responsibility to the rest of the team to go your separate ways because you know as a leader too that's a tough thing it's like you know we were talking about in parenting you have one kid that's willing to do it and you know another kid that's not and if the other kid that's willing to do it sees that the other kid gets all the same stuff and they're not doing it like you have a responsibility to hold everybody to the same standards because people are watching you and they know if you don't do something about this then what you say actually doesn't matter yeah yeah no i think that's a a great point Um, and so that kind of leads to the next question, which is, uh, on a team, especially, you know, larger teams, everybody is bringing so different things to the table. Everyone has their strengths. Everyone has their areas where they, uh, could grow still. How do you work to bring out the best in your teams? You know, that's a great question. I think that, um, something I've learned over the years is everybody's like the star in their own movie, right? So (laughs) it's your job as a leader really to ascertain what somebody's superpower is and try to bring it to the forefront. And that's also a coaching opportunity too, because while somebody has a real strength in one area, it might not, it might also be a weakness in another area. And you have to be able to identify that to support somebody going forward. And, um, I think that it, can lead to difficult conversations at times too, right? Where you try to bring out like, you know, Bonnie, I see this really great quality in you and it's this enthusiasm and everything else, but maybe what happens is as a result of that enthusiasm, sometimes details are left out. Not that that actually, <laughs> you know, 
pertains to you. But, you know, I think it is a matter of really finding that superpower and like looking at it and sharing your observations and then helping somebody understand what the implications can also mean to them. Not everybody is ready, ready for that either. Right. I think, you know, you have to be a very honest and transparent leader that shares those observations and you have to be watching your people to understand what their strengths really are and getting to know them in a very genuine way to be able to do that. Yeah, I, I, I think that's um, that's a great point. And I think it's it's something that, you know, not all leaders have. So and, and I also think that it was a bit rare. I like to think anyway, who do I what do I know, though? But um, the kind of uh, experience that we all had when we all worked together, it seemed like it, everything just kind of with a lot of hard work from leadership came together to a place where I felt that I was doing my best kind of kind of work under that kind of leadership but without people showing you and helping you and guiding you and really uh you know building confidence in your teams um it it can go a completely different way so I think um I think I was very lucky to work with you and others um at that time and you know it kind of leads me to my next question which really is around mentorship and Mm -hmm. you know you obviously uh um now in your career uh I I look to you as a mentor I'm sure other people have as well but what is role has mentorship played in your own career? You know, I think that that's excellent. I think that when I reflect back on it, I don't think we talked about mentorship when I was early in my career. I think that you had leaders, you observed them, and you kind of tried to extrapolate what the best thing was about them that you liked and potentially emulate it if you could um, and add it into your own personal toolkit. But I think early in my career, I don't know that I necessarily could say that I actually had that. I don't think that there was that type of collaborative leadership experience that you see today. Um, I think that later on in my career, as I matured, that it was definitely the case. Like I definitely worked with people and, um, you know, I learned a lot from them and was able to get them to help me and with, you know, good candor in, you know, guiding me in the areas that I needed to grow. Um, But I think that it's definitely evolved from, you know, what, where it stood when I was much more junior to where it is now. And I still feel like, you know, it doesn't need to be anything formal between you and me. Like, I think it is really ad hoc and it goes up and down. Like it could be, you mentor me equally, you know, like I learn things from people around me all the time and I don't think it needs to be anything so formal. Now, I think what I have learned is that's different from like a sponsorship where it is a much more rigorous, um, you know, give and take an agreement about how you're going to help somebody to get to the next level. And I think that, you know, that is different from mentorship and it's, which is still different from even coaching. Right. Um, I think that at the end of the day, maybe 25 years ago, you would have looked back and said, well, I expect my boss and I expect my leaders to coach me and I'll sit here and I'll wait for them to tell me what to do. I'm going to sit here and wait for them to give me guidance And, you know, at the end of the day, all of our careers are our personal journeys. Like we own that. And if you are seeking something, what I've learned is you have to go and get it because the people that you want to reach out to are busy. And so if you really want some of their time, you need to make the effort. You can't sit there and hope that they're going to notice and hope that they're going to see your brilliance and that they're going to swoop in and, you know, pick you out of a crowd and help you with your career. Like you do have to advocate for yourself relentlessly in order to be able to um, continue to move forward. Absolutely. And we do. We all own our own careers. And the day you're mm-hmm. responsible for where that goes. Um, and, you know, everyone needs formal, formal, informal mentors, coaches, people that can help. And sponsorships, you're right, is like a whole different beast because that's someone putting their own brand at, on, 
at risk for you because they believe in you so much. They're willing to be mm -hmm. in that room when you're not there to advocate for you, to get that promotion, to get that special project. Um, and those are important, obviously, too. And that one's interesting because a lot of times it happens, it'll happen organically and that someone sees something in you. But how does someone go about finding those people that can be sponsors for them? Well, that's a really good question. I mean, I think that it takes time and it takes, um, like, I think it'd be very difficult to go into a net new organization and be able to ascertain, like, who can be my sponsor here, because I think you need to be astute in watching how people operate, understand their communication style, what works, what doesn't work for them, and whether or not they actually have the kind of influence that you need in order to be able to be a sponsor too, right? Um, because just because you're somebody senior doesn't mean you actually have the ability to influence certain decisions and doesn't mean that you have the right personality to help sponsor somebody either. So I think it's about really taking the time to observe people and landscapes and understand what you need as an individual as well. Um, because sometimes what we think we need isn't really what we need. Like sometimes we think we need a fork, but we really need a spoon. And so you might actually need a very different type of leader to help you to get to where you need to go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then build trust, right? Like yeah. um, no one is going to be your sponsor without having the trust in you and, and being able to understand what it is that you bring to the table. So being consistent in your approach and, and, and really building that trust so that uh, you can get those. Well, yeah, I think you're right. And it, it does go both ways, right? If you're asking for somebody to be your sponsor, like they do have skin in the game. And like you said earlier, like they're putting their name on you. And so how do they know that you're not going to mess that up? It is a two-way street for sure. Awesome. Yeah, 100%. Um, and that actually kind of brings us to our last formal question in, in the podcast, which is one uh, that we ask all our guests. Um, and I love it because there's themes that seem to run through the answers, but everyone brings their own unique perspe perspective to it. And that question is, if you could go back to when you first started out in your career and have a conversation with yourself, what type of advice would you give? Don't be afraid to make mistakes. I think that's really it, right? I think that over time, what I've learned is that it's not a zero sum game. Like you do right things and you do wrong things and you know, you win or you lose. And I think that as time's gone on, you learn that by making mistakes, there's always lessons that come out of that. And that it's like a constant iteration of who you are and how you can change and how you can influence things. Um, and being wrong is okay. Right. And I see that not being okay for some people. And I think that's too bad. Like none of us know everything. And if we did, then we wouldn't be here. Yeah, I, I think that's great advice. And, you know, when I, I uh, just to, to pick up on what you said about some people that think it's a bad thing to be wrong, right? Like we've all met those people where they just dig their heels in and they keep going with something, even though it's, uh, it's not the right way. So I think that's very important advice to, to, to give someone is that everyone makes mistakes and, and being wrong is okay. And it's uh, totally okay. Yeah. And like, there's some honor in it too, right? Especially if you're comfortable admitting it, because, you know, to have those really good working relationships, you need that kind of honesty and that, you know, real transparency across things. And there's a sense of humility working with somebody that can just say, well, I was, I was totally off the mark on that. So, you know, it just like helps you work better together. Absolutely. Um, so that brings us to the end of the formal questions. So now we have what's called the fast three. It's just three questions to give people something to read or something to think about um, okay. uh, from your perspective. So the first question is, what's your favorite podcast or source of information? 
Huh. Well, um, in the last number of years, I think I have spent more time on podcasts and, you know, um, you know, raising tweens in a pandemic. I've listened to Ask Lisa. It's a psychology of parenting with Dr. Lisa Damore. And it's just been excellent, right? And also like bite-sized pieces, it's like 30 minutes. So it's easy to consume, which I really like. Um, but it's been very helpful, you know, when we've all been so isolated, I've just found it remarkable. Awesome. I will have to check that out. I have not checked that one out. Oh, it's good. There's some really good things in there, Bonnie. That's why I need it. Um, <laughs> we all do. Now I know what I'm doing today. Um, so what are you currently reading? Um, I am reading um, Building a Brand Story uh, by Donald Miller. So, um, and you might find this of interest, actually, you know, working for these big global brands, we never got a lot of opportunity to really think more about what is our brand story and how do we bring that to life? It was done for you when you work for a big global brand. Um, so at this stage, uh, you know, I'm working on doing some brand work where I am currently. And so it's been really interesting to kind of get more into some of the academic side of branding and learn more about where do you where do you actually start from when you're trying to tell a brand story. And so it's been really illuminating. That's awesome. That's fantastic. Yeah. And who is currently inspiring you? Oh, man. Um, you know, as we are on the eve of potentially another virtual school session, you know, I can't help but think about the teachers that had tried to get our kids through the last couple of years. I don't know about you, Bonnie, but like I walked in to, you know, deliver something to one of my kids and I can see these teachers are just, they are trying so hard to motivate these kids and engage them and keep them going virtually. And it is really, really remarkable. Like all these kids, their cameras off and, you know, being quiet and it's really hard for a teacher to engage. And I have to say that like my hats go off to them during this time. And you know what, quite frankly, the students too, like these young people going to school online, like we could never have man imagined anything like that. And so I think, you know, I guess it's because it's been a lot on my mind that the kids might go back online. Right. And with that being the case, I have to tip my hats off to teachers and students. Yeah, that's uh, incredible. And I uh, 100% agree with you. Uh, well, Leslie, I just want to I want to thank you for coming on and spending this half hour with me. It's been so fun to hear your perspective. And I just I miss working with you. So it's great. I to miss catch working up. with you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you. Run It Like a Girl is hosted by Bonnie Moak. Brian Long is the producer. Web design and technical assistance provided by Dan Moak. And music courtesy of the talented Brooklyn Gillichuk.